Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crime Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. And happy Thursday. I mean, but today is a Tuesday and we're back on our old bullshit. So, you know, it's the Tuesday right before this thing goes and out. God is not on our side. No, God's really pissed off at Morgan specifically. <laughs> at me specifically. So we just recorded our Patreon episode, guys. And all is well. I actually put makeup on to record because Taylor's like, we're on camera, you dumb bitch. Look presentable. Don't and look I homeless. I didn't say it like that. I said, hey, by the way, I'm going to video this today. Because <laughs> AKA, missed- don't look fucking homeless. But we missed the best conversation because we didn't put it on camera about the women going to war in the dance battle. I know. That was oh, iconic. That was such a great So one. anyway, I do my makeup and I put mascara on and I get here and Taylor's like, God, there's just something wrong with my face. And me, so quick to answer. <laughs> that was rude of me. Your eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> I said so quick I said yeah it's your eyelashes and you're like oh I said oh did I tell you about that no that's what I said I didn't care oh did I tell you about that yeah so anyway so that instilled some sort of vengeance for Taylor to put a hex on my eyelashes okay so we're recording Patreon <laughs> No, my eyes are and we're done recording patreon and we're talking we're trying to get this fucking camera to work <laughs> and it works. never works and taylor's like dude i'm like yeah okay wait wait wait. <laughs> but pause so this entire time whenever morgan wears mascara it's a really rare occurrence okay and when she wears it i cannot help but look at her eyes because her eyelashes they're so fucking gorgeous and Thank i pay you. good money with an amazing um, uh, afterlife lashes here in knoxville even if you want false afterlife seats or extensions lashes. go to afterlife Period. lashes on Instagram, 10 out of 10. lexi she's 10 out of 10 you'll love her anyways so i paid to get my eyelashes to be looking like morgan's and i don't know if anybody's noticed or if i've even said anything about it yet but i ripped off all of my eyelashes one by one in a meltdown a few weeks ago so i've been like letting my lashes have a little break so i've been having to figure out how to do lashes again i have no idea how to do them. i have had I, i've had lashes on for six years yeah maybe i don't know my eyelashes still as like, long as i've known you yeah literally and my eyelashes are still popping like naturally because that's yeah, what happens no, when you go so to a gorgeous, good but that is artist. what's different yeah and then in a nice respectful friendly way but like honestly like <laughs> i just i have had lashes for so long and everybody has that has known me has only known me with lashes so like when i don't have my fake lashes on i look different okay yeah. i just look weird so anyways I've been staring at Morgan's this entire time. And when we we recorded the Pipe and Hot Goss, I looked at them then. I looked at them when she was recording her case for Patreon. And then I looked at them when I was recording mine. And up until this entire point, the only thing I've ever noticed is that on her right eye, like 
her left and my right there has been this like little piece of makeup like, white yeah like either like dry like a skin flake or like i think it was makeup, just like packed makeup build up yeah like i didn't do a good job cleaning my face the last yeah. two days but, but that's fair we've, we've been, been hung over so yeah. like what is morgan's we birthday expect? weekend what did you want the eyelashes are going to be dirty that's right so then i was like you know looking at them and then i i like look over as we finally get this damn video camera set up and i look over at morgan i'm like dude um what's up what's up to your eye have you seen your eye <laughs> and i'm like no why what's on it and she's like dude it's totally swollen and her phone's connected to the camera so we can't break that connection because it took us to set up so i'm handing her my phone like and guys i have like a like i'm about to take the glasses off and walk up to the camera to show you it's like a blister on my eyelid but like fluid fit like okay remember when i had the heartbeats on my eye i don't think we ever told the public but we did tell patreon okay i had like well it was actually called something else it wasn't that it's, it was kind, just it's like, like similar a to a cold bacterial sore. like yeah. sty infection basically like a cold sore but on the eye but not not a cold sore not not that <laughs> anyway so i had that like what a month ago i would say yeah it was about a month ago and it's like healed it's you know and it takes time to develop into that like i know when it's coming it, i see the blisters it mm -hmm. starts to hurt it's itchy like i know when it's coming i also know when a sty is coming it starts to hurt mm -hmm. it hurts to blink and you can feel the little ball this was in a matter of like five fucking minutes <laughs> literally blister like i had like you can push on my eyelid and fluid is bouncing around it took us okay so when we when i ended my episode and we were talking i was looking at your eyelashes then and it looked a little red we set up this entire bullshit 10 minutes 10 10 15 who knows i look back over we sit down and record we're like oh this is perfect can i look at the camera and then i'm like boom third person in the room <laughs> all of a sudden we have a third guest all of a sudden we have a guest on the pod. all of a sudden <laughs> and is here from creeps and crimes yeah. creeps and crimes <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes so i don't know what the fuck's going on with my eye but i did pound a couple button and drill so if halfway through and of course i'm going second this episode oh, so i'm gonna be like this uh anyway uh, you know like bouncing off the mic you know we'll just see we'll just see where the night takes us and of course that happens hopefully to not to the er fast turnaround one of course i mean what you know what we should just know we get struck by lightning every time yeah every every time somebody put a fucking hex on us. now i feel like my eyes is gonna my eyes is gonna swell <laughs> now i'm really thinking my eyes are kind of swearing I, <laughs> I feel like i can't open my left eye i don't know if i'm just no like, but it is you. like at, in the moment like it just feels like it's getting heavier and heavier but like it was full-blown swollen i had no idea yeah she had like, no I didn't idea even feel it but like now that i know it's there like i do feel like it's a little heavy <laughs> honest to god i swear like me it might be going down that's the weirdest thing ever and like we called beth ann mom and of course we have to call mom of course and we're like um yo what is that what do you think it shows is it a what's it called a hive a hive yeah. and that would make sense if we didn't see the fluid in it oh yeah like bubbly like it was like a boil like a blister boil. i don't know and it just happened so fast like only thing that could be is like a blister like a burn yeah but like 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 taylor said it looks like someone took a curling iron pressed it up against my eyelid and it bubbled literally guys i'm like the funkiest like don't think i'm dirty because like you i mean you guys all know like we both have issues showering here but like that's like washing hair shower yeah but like i'm not dirty but i'm like the funkiest person ever and you wash your exist. face yeah like and like i like get the weirdest shit that always happens to my skin like my skin is so sensitive but it also has like 
I think like all sorts of bacterial infections I could possibly have is like embedded into my skin. It just pops up everywhere. You know what? That that's what happens. Lyme I guess, disease. When you, I mean, we we've been saying it. I don't even know if that's a symptom. I just, I mean, <laughs> diabetes. I, you've got diabetes. <laughs> you've got something. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe you're just like one of those people that's just like allergic to everything. Like point blank period. That's the end of story. Because that's what, but mean, like what I have water. But, I had three noodles of Alfredo three. Yeah. But like it was swelling. You know what? That we did stop in the middle. So that is the only thing that changed. But like usually when I react to food, like it's like instant highs. Yeah. And this like was instant, instant. back it, itchy. And like I've had this like thing that I've been again, funky freak. I am. I know. I've had this thing I've been gnawing on on the inside of my mouth. And like, it's not like a, what's it, what are these called? A kinker sore. It's not a kinker sore. It's just sometimes my inner lip like gets swollen. Do like you get the, the blister ones that you can pop? No. Oh my God. I get and those I can all just time. like, it kind of like sticks out and I'll just like end up like chewing on. Chewing this it is off. disgusting. No, I do it but too. like, then it goes down like yeah. an hour later. And like, I don't, so I've had that like during all the Patreon, but yeah. like. Honestly, I get blisters in my mouth that I can like literally put my nail into, pop it, and it goes away. Oh, I've never had that. Uh, or maybe a zet. I don't know. I don't know what that is. It, sometimes it's blood. Sometimes it's just liquid. Interesting. Anyway, guys, so we do have a third party with us today, and we'll let you know what they think. But besides that, let's talk about my birthday weekend. Yes. Do a quick little recap, birthday girl. Mm, we recap coffee, shopping. Took us nine years to shop. Never doing it again. You want to hear more about that? subscribe to patreon 100 um patreon.com slash creeps and crimes slay we did cocktail drinks dinner wait cocktail drinks more cocktail Rooftop. drinks vault dinner vault cocktail <laughs> cocktail vault cocktail drinks <laughs> in an old bank speakeasy sick 10 out of 10 if you're in knoxville go to vita the vault 10 out oh. of 10 then we went to the embassy rooftop yeah. I had the best dirty slut of a martini I've ever had in my entire life. Maybe one of you guys was there making fun of us. We don't know. Or someone, <laughs> somebody definitely was. <laughs> someone was just making fun of us. And then we go eat dinner. This is our this is our new philosophy. This is it, guys. Drinks, drinks, dinner. And if you still want to keep rolling, either go get more drinks or go home and go to bed with a full tummy of pasta and wake up not hungover at all. Yeah. Ten out of ten recommend. That's, that is what the hot shit thing to do is yeah that's just so how it goes we don't if make the you rules. either get on board or y'all can keep eating dinner first and being sick on your night out and, and then having a bloated tummy just like that's up to you that's up to you <laughs> because we, that, we that's crack the code want, then by all means yeah i mean but i do have to tell you guys i tried muscles <gasps> yes logan ordered muscles at osteria stella where we went for dinner on friday and i was like you know what fuck it Give Let's me. just go. Like I didn't even, you weren't me. even like try this. I was like, give me it, I'll try it. I, I was honestly like kind of against you trying it. I was like, I don't know if I want her to try it here. Like we'll like, there'll be times. What if there's an allergic what if her eyes swell? What what if honestly, she blisters I this up? Is delayed. Like what if she blisters up? You Truly. Because my grandmother's actually like very severely allergic to like all shellfish. So is Logan's mom. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Let me try it. <laughs> Let me try it. I'm not allergic to anything. Yeah. It was really good. Ten out of ten. And, like, I was not expecting myself to say that. I thought I was going to, you know. Like, and even Aaron tried it. And even Aaron tried it. They're not bad. Like, they're not. It was just, like, because it was in that good, good sauce. Like yeah. Buttery, that buttery white wine. It was. Beautiful sauce. I mean, it's just so good. And the rule is, once you swallow. Yeah. And <laughs> you know what? When it was in my mouth, I did, too. Because I was like, I just don't feel like it's right. 
And honestly, I could have cheated a little more. Yeah, you can. It's just the first time. Like if you bite, so, sometimes there's ones that are a little bit more tough than others, and it's just kind of rough. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It's good. Sorry, sorry to break it to everybody. I never thought. I mean, you asked me two weeks ago if I would have tried that on my birthday. No, I would have said no. I mean, we have it on recording but because I was tr- I was now a big girl. I am 25 years old, and I can now say that I eat muscles. Yeah, and we went to cocktails One before singular. dinner, and then went straight home and go to bed because that's what big girls. Do. Yeah, before before midnight. Before I mean, before midnight. Now, granted, we have been out for a minute, and then um, yeah. we completely derailed on Saturday. That's a story for Patreon. You guys got to see the shots, but we, which you probably shouldn't have. That yeah. should not have been public. We uh, there was also okay. another shot in that that did not make the cut. Thank God. Thank God because that was the one where i was like sorry sorry i love you so much oh my god we were not okay either way we had a great time yeah love your birthday we had a really good weekend no that was my favorite birthday weekend that we've had for like anyone in a really long time it was just perfect it really was it was like the perfect amount (laughs) it's because it's just me and you like (laughs) (laughs) is it because the two bitches are left no literally we're literally we're just like we're both want to get pictures we want to do the same things and we want to go to bed like yeah there's just truly boom boom boom. and if like one of us wants to keep going then like it's fine go on you guys hear that it was an echo from the wall oh i just heard like chains was it my drink did you pick it up no but it is popping and locking and dropping back there i don't know i heard chains right there shut do your chain hang low (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Immediately, no. Anyways, um, so finally wrapping up BTK today, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, thank God. And 128 is going to be... <gasps> St. Patrick's? No, oh. it's 129, I think. Yeah, 129. 128 is supposed to be women-esque. Oh, I'm already out of that. But oh, I'll, no. I can, I can move it. Okay, we'll see. Yeah, I was going to do my little, um, my little high school story. Your high school. The one story. I was telling you about earlier today with Oh um, damn, that was the Academy. Too. But But we should do I a woman can one. save it. Cause it might be a two barter. You never hear those words from me again. Yeah. But we'll save it for after St. Patty's and yeah. then I'll find a very haunted woman in white. I think I just want to stay really unhinged until St. Patty's. Because we've been really locked down the last three weeks. Yeah. So I'm ready for like something I you might a, not get a crime out of me i need a good woman in white walking you the do waters, you need a, an iconic the top of the water an iconic woman lore or, ghost situation or hear me out hybrid mother okay that's another sick one okay what I, we'll find something for me i don't know i you might i don't think i'm gonna cover a crime for two weeks uh yeah Period. I why, might. Why should you? Who knows? We're creeps and creeps. Yeah. <laughs> Next two weeks, creeps and creeps. Don't ask me. Actually, 128, we're creeps and creeps. 129, we're creeps and crimes. <laughs> and we're canceled. And all right. All the Irish people are done. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. creepy. Okay, so we have officially, we're closing the book on BTK. Wrapping her up and putting her in the closet. God, I'm so done. I'm literally so done. So this is part three slash the final part of BTK or Dennis Lynn Raider. If you have not listened to part one, which is episode 125 or part two, episode 126, just turn back now.
Just turn You're going to be lost. You're going to be really lost and you're just going to be like, why are they so over it? You'll understand. I'm going to give you my trigger warning and I know you're really tired of hearing this, but just for to make sure that everybody's on the same page, this is going to be a deep and detailed, likely distressing case to listen to. There is murder, bonded, sexual disorders, sexual assault, crimes involving children, paraphilia, torture, lots of talk surrounding the details, crimes involving animals, and so much more. We are also going to be discussing the, which is all this one is about, by the way, the forensic psychology behind a lot of these things in detail along with other sensitive or disturbing topics i'm going to take you into the brain of one of the most fucked up serial killers of all time so please prepare yourself and listen when you are mentally ready to lastly before we get into this i want to give a disclaimer i am in we are in no way shape or form using this reporting style to defend or justify anything that BTK has done by any means. I am not trying to communicate, share, or sway you into feeling any sort of empathy for this man because we do not at all. None. Zero. All I wanted to do with this was just show you the insides of a dark and twisted mind that is capable of doing such horrific things in an attempt to educate you and myself. With that being said, let's go into the diagnosis of Dennis Lynn Rader or BTK. Following Dennis Rader's guilty pleas, he was interviewed by psychologist Dr. Robert Mendoza, who diagnosed him with narcissistic, antisocial, and obsessive compulsive personality disorders, highlighting his excessive need for attention lack of empathy for his victims, and his preoccupation with rigid structure and order, as well as a grandiose sense of self, aka he believes that he is special and entitled to special treatment. Now, before we go into a full breakdown of case studies by different people and explain diagnosis, etc., I do want to do a little bit of a walkthrough of important components of Dennis Lynn Rader's life, which is best summed up by criminal psychologist Dr. Catherine Hughes from the YouTube channel Crime Psych. And I'm going to be putting, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to try to figure out a way. I think I'm going to try to link a PDF that has all of my sources for this because this one is like a million more. Of course, I have Dr. Ramsland's book, Confessions of a Serial Killer, as really like the main base of this. I also have Inside the Mind of BTK by Johnny Douglas. So there's lots, but I'm kind of giving like shout outs where I can in the midst, but there is going to be somehow I'm going to link something somewhere to give you all my sources. And if it's not there and you want more. So a childhood breakdown. He was the oldest of four sons, quiet, but always there, willing to join in. He wasn't into sports. He preferred hunting and fishing over anything other than that. Others say that he was not neglected as a child. However, he claims, which we know this from part one and part two, that his parents, who both worked many hours to be able to provide for their family, specifically his mother, Mother, though were distant with him and he grew up on a farm with his grandparents both sides he watched his grandparents kill chickens for food because it was a farm which excited him at a really young age so at that age he begins to experiment with taking lives away from animals in his mid-teens he begins to undergo these changes that set him apart from his peers sexual fantasies which we learned a lot about how he experienced the clutter family murder It was around the same time that he acknowledges for the first time what his future is going to be, which is violent. Like he had this dark side of him and 
he became aware of it and began to embrace it. Further explores killing animals for fun, like hanging cats, rabbits, turtles, peeping through windows of women in his neighborhood, his girlfriends, even his teachers. He starts to break and enter to steal underwear or lingerie or just like undergarments from women that he had been peeping in on all the while coming across as this normal person to everyone around him and fitting in relatively well. After high school, he begins to come out of his shell a little bit more. He's no longer the wallflower who kind of jumps in. He is the center of attention. And this really kind of starts with his car that he bought. It made him feel special. It made him feel confident. It was a standout car. And he begins to feel more comfortable with friends and females. So we know that like he tried to go to school, didn't really work out. So instead, he joins the U.S. Air Force. He gets out of service. He goes back to college. He works several jobs. He gets married to Paula. They have two children, Carrie and Brian. He is a Cub Scout leader for his son. He is a church president. And he's living this normal suburban life. And no one in his life would have ever thought that he would be capable of being btk how fucking terrifying terrifying that this he lived a double life literally a complete double life that never bled through not once i mean that is fucking scary that's like mind-blowing that people can do that right so what is so interesting that's so funny you said that what is so interesting about dennis raider is that no one in his life knew who he truly was and what he was doing with his time for the most part we all believe that it would be relatively easy to spot characteristics of a serial killer or a psychopath but this proves that that is not the case at all. And it's actually relatively common that you wouldn't be able to call out these characteristics in a person. An example that Dr. Catherine Hughes uses, how we are in our own lives. So we all have these different roles that we play in different circumstances. As in, if you looked at your manager at work, you look at them as this competent authority figure. But what you don't see is who they are at home or in their personal life, because each of us all have different stories and different phases of our lives. So your manager is a manager to you at work, but he could be a tennis player, a golfer, an abuser, a loving spouse, someone who lost a loved one that was very close to them. And maybe they're having to raise that loved one's children. Like there could be a million different things that you don't know about that person's so life. So fucking true. Right. And similar to this, Dennis Rader had an intense and complex way of compartmentalizing his life, which is really what all of these different pieces of us are. A really good example of this is, you know, when we're doing certain things, we don't consider our other roles. I'm going to break this down a little bit more using me as an example. So if I'm with my family at a family gathering, I'm not thinking of myself as a podcaster in that moment who researches crime cases and criminals. Instead, in that moment, I am simply just a daughter, a friend, a sister, a granddaughter, a wife, etc. Or when I'm researching a case like this and I'm scripting it and we're recording, we're preparing for it. In that moment, I am not a daughter, a wife, a sister. I'm not all of those things. That's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the fact that I'm a researcher and I'm a podcaster in that moment. In the case of Dennis Rader, when he was in his good side, being a father, a church president, a husband, a son, etc., he was not the dark side or BTK. He was just Dennis. Or when he was committing these horrific crimes as the dark side or BTK, he was not in that moment at all thinking about being a father or a, right, a husband, Dennis. a son, right? He was not Dennis in those moments. I have, a, I have a question. Yeah. And you may totally cover this in a second, but 
him calling it the good side the dark side is that something he did later on that's something like he's that, done or, his a, a long time so he's like called it to himself during all of this like here's my dark side here's right my, like he's been well aware right like, because outsidely he, aware i guess it's he thought aware. of it as like cubing and he was like i have to go do this for the good side because I've got to do this. Okay. So that's, those terms have been stuck with him mm -hmm. since he. He was young. Okay. Whenever he first identified cubing and factor X, Dude. which we're going to get to. So being a diagnosed narcissistic psychopath, he did not see, this is so fucked. Just prepare yourself. He did not see or have the capability of seeing his victims as having any rights or any backstories like how it we look at our manager yes they're our manager in that moment but we know that there's more to that person right he did not see it that way instead they were just simply an accessory to his pleasure wow now what i'm about to say is like really really rough um this entire piece is but who who his victims were in that moment, in his eyes, that's all that they ever were and all that they would ever be. And victims. It, victims, but not even that. Pleasures. Yeah, projects. And he even had this same feeling towards his family. Now, this is what's really, really hard. And I, I truly like apologize for even saying this, but it's the best way to sum up his life and his mind and put it in perspective for you what being a psychopath is and dr hughes said this um it's a quote and it says he got married and had children because it created a cover or made him seem normal to those around him they were his cover story yeah wow because he is a psychopath and people like this have the ability to appear normal by mimicking others, making themselves seem more acceptable or normal within society, which allows them to hide in plain sight, even from the people that they're closest to. All of this is to explain why when his cover was blown and he was officially caught by police, he had no problem telling officers and the court every single detail of every single one of the crimes that he had committed and his entire life story with no emotion, with no empathy, with no problem. He no longer had the cover and he never saw his victims as anything other than objects that helped him to achieve his pleasure and his family was nothing more than a cover for the good side. Wow. Yeah, I this guy. I mean, so, so fucked. All the while, though, as he's living this double life and playing these cards the way that he is, he is enjoying following the cases of other serial killers. He was studying them. He loved to call them out where they had fucked up or where they had gone wrong. And in part two, episode 126, we walked through the profile. I think it was part two where we walked through the profile that was created for BTK by the Wichita police and the FBI investigators that were aiding on the case. In this, they mentioned that he would be overly critical of police investigations on his crimes, which he was. But he was also overly critical of other serial killers because He's a psychopath who truly believed that he was the best serial killer of all time. And he was proud of his work. And in his mind, he was finally being noticed and getting the recognition for something he was proud of, which made him happy and excited. 
exactly why he freaked out when those three guys claimed the Otero's murders, which is why he began to claim his crimes in the media and with police. Dr. Hughes noted when he was in court, he said, quote, if you know anything about serial killers, you know that we have phases. You control a person for years, but once you lock on to someone, it turns into stalking, end quote. This was his way of communicating to the court and just everyone that he was patting himself on the back. Yeah. Like I did my Job research. Well I planned it in depth. Like this was not like I have control over my urges because I can do this. I can plan it. And it was something he was prideful about and why he was so disappointed anytime anything went wrong, which led him to having to act on impulse. Mm-hmm. So to explain this deeper, we're going to have to dig into his mental processes. And the best way to do this is by walking you through some of the published case study that was conducted by Matthew uh, S. Huntnan from SMU. And this will be in my source notes as well. Many experts consider Dennis Lynn Rader to be a quintessential psychopath, which is comprised of four main points. Number one, lack of remorse. Number two, shallow effect. Number three, callousness or lack of empathy. Number four, failure to accept responsibility, all of which he checks every single box for, including the interpersonal features of a psychopath. Number one, pathological lying. Number two, manipulativeness. Number three, a grandiose sense of self-worth. And number four, a superficial charm. And in no way, shape, or form is did he use the same type of charm that was used by Ted Bundy. Instead, Dennis Lynn Rader channeled this charm through seeming to be an upstanding, dependable person within his community. Someone that you could trust and you could go to. Whereas Ted Bundy used it as like, oh, I'm hot. He's honestly so, so intelligent. Right. But like, I don't even know if it's, he was like aware that this is what he was doing. You know, like I think that's what it is to be a a psychopath. Yeah. Is to just be doing that. I, I don't know. I don't fucking know either. Like, do you reach a certain level of intelligence that forces you into this right. dark void of a life? Right. To where you, I don't even know. I literally, I can't even, and we'll, we'll have a better understanding of it here in a little bit, I guess. And we'll be able to have more conversation about it because like, I don't even think I've even digested half of the information that I've put on this because it's just, I've like had to keep myself at arm's length this entire time. Right. Um, other experts actually believe that he was likely a goal-oriented psychopath instead of just like the quintessential psychopath. But in different yet relatively important ways, he could also be considered an unconventional psychopath, mainly because of mixed evidence regarding his lifestyle. So there are four main lifestyle features that make up a psychopath. And I'm going to first start off with the main three, and we're going to get to the fourth here in a second. Number one, a need for stimulation and a proneness to boredom. Number two, a lack of long-term goals. Number three, irresponsibility. Though we can see a need for stimulation and proneness to boredom with Dennis Rader, he never would could be someone that I would consider to be lacking goals or irresponsible. An example of this mainly has to do with his pattern of crimes. 
They were all well-planned. They were all methodical. And he was very patient, which is why he could take such long breaks in between them. He was using that time to perfect his crimes and his plans. Next, although he had many jobs, he remained steady in his will to work and want to be employed, all the while continuing his involvement with his community and his family. And all of these factors point towards the possibility that he could be considered a goal-oriented psychopath because he occupied his time well and could maintain relationships and commitments. All the while still providing for his family, not only financially, but also with his time and presence in the home. The fourth lifestyle feature of a psychopath, which I left out in the beginning, is impulsivity. Specifically, this is made up of four distinct angles or details or whatever. Number one, urgency. Number two, lack of premeditation. Number three, lack of perseverance. Number four, sensation seeking. Dennis Rader's crimes lacked the aspect of the first three details. Like we can't say that he had like this sense of urgency. He lacked being premeditated. He was like didn't persevere through anything. He did all of those things. I'm sorry, he didn't have all of those things. But he absolutely in his crimes was sensation seeking. I don't know if that made any sense, if you know what I mean. But basically, I'm saying the first three don't apply to him, but the last one absolutely does. Sorry, I don't know where I went with that. So all of his crimes were based on his intense fantasies, from which he got pleasure from reenacting them, not only on himself or his victims, but like even thinking about his crimes. Now, going back to his need for rigid structure combined with this seeking of a sensation, there is a sense of risk-taking, which is typical in any psychopathic mind or lifestyle. But in order for him to be able to take that risk, which is where you go out on a limb and you do the thing that your impulsive thoughts are wanting you to do or your deep thoughts are wanting you to do, because he was so rigid and obsessive, He had to have considered the outcomes and consequences, which he combated with his intense planning and premeditation. In his communication. So then is he really impulsive? So no. Okay. That that's basically like he isn't impulsive, but he is at the same time because only because of the factor of the sensation seeking. Right. So that's why which are his sexual pleasures or the murder, his fantasies that he has to perform, Okay, which is what makes them impulsive, like when you act on them. So that's why I think they say like he can't be considered the quintessential psychopath because really there are different layers to because he was able to maintain this complete double life and take such long breaks between his crimes, which never happens especially in people that are because impulsivity takes over that want that drive Mm -hmm. that hunger for it takes over and it was more he can contain it he can contain it and he learned to contain it by compartmentalizing he would go when he would have motel parties he would put on the mask he would take pictures of himself he would journal but he didn't have to kill jeez (sighs) So in his communications and interviews with various individuals, Dennis Rader maintains his stance that he was a natural born predator who is driven to kill by an urge that he cannot understand or defeat, which he defines as factor X. However, he also notes that there are few incidences and none of these have ever been officially confirmed via medical records or like even accounts from family members where he was dropped on his head as a child. If that was the case, then that may explain his psychopathic tendencies. 
and where this factor X originated from. But he kind of like, like, did he use it as like the saying, like, oh, I guess I was dropped in my head as a child, or was he like, no, I was literally dropped. No, like, like when he, I was a kid. Like apparently, like his family talked about it, not like his brothers, but I think like his mom and his dad. But it's kind of like he's going back on what he's saying because then that wouldn't make you a natural born serial killer predator right, that's saying that that's more of a i guess not nurture but right that's hard because it's like you become you become when you because of an a made right yeah. a made serial killer um but one thing that we do know for sure is what type of serial killer that professionals categorize dennis raider or btk as and before I tell you exactly what he is, I want to take you through the four main types that have subcategories of their own. So the four main types of a serial killer are one, visionaries, two, mission-oriented, three, hedonistic, I think is how you say it. He Hedonistic? Hedonistic. Like narcissistic. I want to think it's hedonistic. Maybe. Um, and number four, power control. So let's walk through each of these. Number one, visionary. Someone who kills because they, and guys, this might be like kind of triggering because I'm literally reading the basic definition and giving examples and they're very More graphic. Red. Yeah, they're not, they're not great. Um, so a visionary is someone who kills because they believe that a person or an entity is commanding them to do so. They most likely are disorganized killers and suffer from some form of psychosis causing them to lose touch with reality, which leads to hallucinations or hearing voices that are not real while holding on to these delusional and extremist beliefs that they have. They typically choose their targets at random. They lack planning of their crimes and they put in little to no effort to cover up their crimes. Though that seems it would be easy to catch them because of this instead because they don't have any because they're, they're disorganized they change their mo's they kill different every time that they kill so it's hard to connect and link to past crimes and current crimes and track them down especially back in the day when we didn't have dna that could connect people right. it was only based off of mo so examples of visionary serial killers would be Herbert Mullen or the son of Sam. So number two, we have mission-oriented serial killers. Someone who kills in order to, quote, rid society of a specific group of people and their mission is to kill as many of this group of people as possible. They are considered, I'm sorry, they are not considered to be psychotic or out of touch with reality meaning they do not experience hallucinations like visionaries and they don't have this like command from God or other entity to commit their crimes. It is simply just all based off of a delusion that was made by themselves. They are typically organized killers that plan out their crimes, but they kill quickly and efficiently while avoiding close contact with their victims at all costs, making them more likely to use a gun or a bomb over a knife or their own hands. They are obsessive and driven by either hatred or revenge and typically they stick to their local areas and by that I mean like east coast west coast their state they don't really take it outside of that because it's only based off of who directly affects them but they typically will not stop their killing sprees until they have been killed themselves or they are caught so some examples of mission-oriented serial killers or mass murderers would be um, the Atlanta bombings, number one. Number two, Joseph Paul Franklin. And some people also consider that this could be the son of Sam in some aspects. 
And number four, the smiley face killer. Yeah, number four, 100%. At large. At large. Then we have number three, power control killers. This is actually the most common type of serial killer. Someone who seeks to gain power and control over their victims. They seek to dominate their victims to gain a sense of empowerment for themselves. They are typically men that have feelings of inadequacy or are afraid of, and by afraid I mean like petrified of rejection. Many of which who were abused or neglected as children. These types of killers are often meticulous, patient, and calm. Most often they are very organized. So some power control serial killers are referred to as organized serial killers. They because they're extremely organized in every single one of their crimes. They may sexually assault their victims. However, it is not done for their own sexual pleasure pleasure, but instead as a tool to gain power or control over their victims which gives them a high. After the murders, they will typically assert their dominance by keeping souvenirs that remind them of their victims, returning to the body, engaging in necrophilia, or mutilating the remains. If they took a piece of jewelry from their victim, they may give it to their partner, saying that they bought it for them, like, I bought this for you with so much money, it just popped out at me. This is another form of a high they get because they're manipulating their partner into wearing this and then being able to relive the crime by seeing their right, partner over wear it and over and over again mm-hmm. examples of this include john wayne gacy gary ridgeway who was the green river killer and even some consider ted bundy to be a power yeah. control and i think so as well i do too finally we have the hedonistic hedonist head done you're saying it right it sounds right hedonistic right i think it sounds right too which is a serial killer that kills for pleasure or reward money sex fun etc They are broken down into three subcategories. Number one, comfort or profit killers. Number two, thrill killers. And number three, lust killers. A comfort or profit killer is someone who kills for money or material gain, like killing a spouse for insurance money or killing a sibling to get more inheritance money. They are typically known for using poison to commit their crimes because there's no need for them to have close contact between themselves and their victims. Unlike thrill and lust killers, they do not typically torture or mutilate their victims before or after death. They simply kill to gain something and or put an end to something, which is also different from thrill or lust killers as well as power control killers because comfort killers do not gain any pleasure from the kill itself, but instead they gain the pleasure from the reward that they get after they have killed. And interestingly enough, most female serial killers tend to fall under the comfort killer category. Wow. Making her main motive being to kill for money, love, or wealth. As women are unlikely to kill for sexual gratification or power. Comfort killers typically wait a really long time between their murders because it is not an impulse to them, unlike thrill or lust killers. So comfort killers can be considered organized killers just like power control killers. Would you consider comfort killers to be like on a need basis? On a need, 100%. if there is a war, like it could go, you know, 15 years. Yeah. But until there's a reward for something... Yeah, they do it. like an example is H.H. H. Holmes. Then we have thrill killers. And these are people that get a literal thrill from just simply murdering another. Hunting, stalking, 
scaring and seeing the fear in their victim's eyes. That is the thrill, which gives them a high that they find extremely exciting and addictive. Someone who will just kill to see how it feels. Like if they had an urge to, they'll do it to figure out what the hype is. And they are typically seen as normal, confident members of society on the outside. However, on the inside, internally, they struggle with feelings of inadequacy or powerlessness aka ding, ding, ding. kind of bringing in that power control in here too. But their crimes give them power, which is a version of this high that they chase because they need to experience their victim's suffering. They are commonly statistic. Oh my God. Sadist, sorry, sadist, S-A-D-I-S-T, sadistic killers, which means that they want like a game of cat and mouse. So they might let the victim think they got away and then catch them or talk with them to calm them down and then begin talking to them to scare them again. It's very much like a roller coaster and they enjoy the hunt, but they lose interest with their victims after death, although they will use sexually motivated torture tactics such as rape or assault that is not their main motivator it's mainly just the ability to scare another person so wow mainly rape or sexually motivated torture is just a tool in their crimes unlike lust killers so some examples of thrill killers would be the zodiac killer and israel keys oh wow Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I tried to go through and like make sure it was ones I've covered so we could all have like, you know, something this to This entire back time to. I was like, where does the Zodiac fall? And I, yeah, well, sense. the Zodiac actually falls into more than one, just like Ted Bundy and yeah. Dennis Rader, um, because the Zodiac killer was a power control and very organized, very well thought out wanted to articulate articulate really there was no motive which is why they're considered a power control and a thrill killer right i don't know and the hunt i guess yeah but like they they are whoever it is is a lot like um dennis Rader because of the impulsivity like they are able to control that and granted we don't know how right but like the zodiac killer i think is next to Dennis Rader on impulsivity control right so they're very similar they're actually all the like psychological psychological breakdowns that I read always compared Dennis Rader and the Zodiac but that makes sense because he took a lot of he claims he didn't like copy the Zodiac but like you did yeah he did you did and you know how I was trying to think of where they would fit in as um Richard Ramirez I guess he would be just a thrill killer power control yeah night stalker power control thrill yeah Yeah, i think so a lust killer which is our next category will rape mutilate and kill for their own sexual gratification they fantasize about their crimes years before they commit them because of their violent fantasies they begin to expand over time and dominate their thoughts talking about the dark fantasies where it becomes a deep-seated psychological need to kill or act out in most cases the time between each of their kills it will become shorter and shorter because they chase this high which leads them to struggle with their own impulses 
But unlike mission killers, a lust killer requires close contact. They want to use their hands or a knife. They want it to be hands-on. Very rarely, if ever, will they use a gun. Lust killers like trophies from their victims in order to relive a piece of the crime and remember it like a power control. Most of them will return to the crime scene, mutilate bodies, or engage in necrophilia. But not all lust murders have to involve sexual intercourse, meaning the crime itself is the sexual gratification that the killer is wanting. Examples of this, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, Dennis Lynn Rader. But Dennis Lynn Rader is actually considered to be an organized, power control, hedonistic, lust killer and thrill. He also had like aspects of thrill. But in my opinion, I feel like thrill and power control are kind of similar in a way other than like power control seems to have a lot more, like hedonistic killers seem to have a lot less impulsive control Whereas power control do have a lot of control. Yeah, he's got my mind fucked right now. Yeah, I'm mind fucked. And like walking, I'm uh, like, I know this, but like I've never like walked through it all in one moment to be like, you know? Yeah. Okay. So like Dennis Lynn Rader, many hedonistic or power control serial killers have military backgrounds, such as Gary Ridgway, Israel Keys, and Jeffrey Dahmer. On BuzzFeed Unsolved, Dr. Eric Hickey, who is a criminal psychologist, discussed this topic further. Dr. Hickey serves the U.S. military by consulting with them, training CID, criminal investigators, and victim specialists. He notes that in his research, it shows that military the military draws in mainly males, not always, but mainly males, with the want or interest to murder. Not everyone that joins the military has an interest in murder, but... The people that we're discussing, yes, they do. Some other serial killers and mass murderers that have served in the military include the Freeway Killer, the Son of Sam, Dean Coral, Timothy McVeigh, Arthur Shawcross, and many, many more. Many of them do this for a sense of belonging, pride, and the ability to simply wear a uniform, which is a common theme in Dennis Lynn Raider's life. So, yeah, oh shit. Right. Dr. Hickey, and I didn't put this in my notes, I don't know why I didn't do this, was talking about how the military has been doing like a lot of research in order to be able to identify serial killers before they leave or enter the military. Wow. It's like, they're like... It's really common. There was like a percentage. I don't know what it was. I don't want to say like 70%. I want to say like um, maybe 19. Yeah. Something like that percent of serial killers have served in the U.S. military. Oh, probably more than 19. Probably like 41 or something. I don't know exactly what it was. All of this points towards his narcissistic and antisocial personality disorders. The need to like belong and uh, wear something that gives you power And he had this urge to belong and to be accepted, which was kind of where his good side came in. That's where he felt his sense of belonging in the church as a husband, as a father. He had roles that kind of filled in the gaps for him. All the while, he needed to be special and stand out because he believed he was better and more skilled than anyone else around him at all times, which is the dark side. Basically, all in all, he killed for pleasure he had zero empathy what was the first breakdown that you did not type of serial killer types of psychopaths psychopaths he's a little piece of each one of those and Mm -hmm. he's a little piece of every single serial killer like it's like 
puzzle pieces were all put together mm -hmm. from every fucking section that you talked about to make Dennis Rader. Right. And the only thing that really makes him like stand out from being just like the quintessential psychopath is his lifestyle, which is what pulls him away from most pieces of everything. Yeah. The fact that he could exist in real life with normal people around him, no one knowing that's like what makes him stand out so far yeah. and i guess like similar to the zodiac killer like no one in who whoever the fuck the zodiac killer is right seriously not the guy they said it was no it's not it's not you marty bass either well <laughs> anyways he had zero empathy he was absolutely a psychopath no matter how you want to put it was he born this way or did he become this way a result as a result of feeling neglected being dropped on his head experiences that he has a, at a child we will probably never know but Dennis Rader demonstrates that psychopaths are not easy to identify, which is why it is estimated that two to three people per 100 may be psychopaths. And this is like according to a study done by Dr. R.D. Hare. Wow. And he really puts into perspective the argument of nature versus nurture for no, psychopaths. Truly. For serial killers. Yeah. In general. In general. Because like you said, he kind of backtracks when he's like, I dropped on my head mm -hmm. and not all of his family saying it. But like he is truly a nature made serial killer to yeah. me. Nature instead of nurture. Yeah. I don't know. I truly like it don't. It wasn't his lifestyle. He was I don't born. think it could be his lifestyle because I mean, his three brothers are like. You yeah. know, they and now they're probably mind fucked because their brother's a damn serial killer. But like, you know, there's not been really any other reports about anything else going on in the family. And I'm sure it would be there if it was sure. like only thing I've ever seen about his siblings was his youngest brother, I think, question mark, maybe his second youngest brother was kind of the troublemaker like always acting out in school always be but like i feel like that's just like a younger sibling you know what i mean yeah. there's always got to be one and he wasn't that one so that's another thing that's really odd like he and there was this there's two parts that i've left out because i just in my opinion there's not enough evidence backing these up to like really like go into depth about so like take these with a grain of salt i just want to mention to you these to you guys for i don't know i guess food for thought there was this one instance that he recalled First, let's talk about his mom, because a lot of this like centers around his mother and feeling neglected by his mother or feeling like she, you know, she could be everything in the world. She could be a good friend. She could be a good employee, but she couldn't be a good mom. Like that was a quote that we read from him. Yeah. There, Dr. Hickey on the BuzzFeed Unsolved kind of addressed his relationship with his mother. And so did Dr. Catherine Hughes from Crime Psych. Now, Dr. Catherine Hughes talked about basically perspective is reality. So if a child is experiencing something that they can't express or process in a home, no matter what it is, even if it can't be seen on the outside of the home, they combat this in different ways. Sometimes it's by killing animals, acting out in school, wetting the bed. And yep. he, ex you know, showed many of these things. But then Dr. Hickey discussed his mother and what the role that she played in it. And there's this, there's two main places in Dennis Rader's life that he is quoted on multiple occasions talking about times he felt humiliated by his mother, which is why he was really scared when he got in that car accident to go home. But he wanted to go home instead of the hospital because he was afraid he was going to get humiliated in public versus being humiliated in his home. So one of the thing, one of the times that his mother humiliated him was when he was young. It was one of the first times that he had 
uh, snuck into her room and got her slipped. He, I guess, had an orgasm and it had gotten on his boxers. And um, his mother saw it when she was doing the laundry and brought it to him and said, are you masturbating? And of course, he's like not going to answer. I guess he was like 11 or 12. She said, those who masturbate, God does not let into heaven or something using like religious fear as a tactic in order to keep him pure, I guess. I don't know. And Dr. Hickey broke this down and was like, well, let's look at it from a Freudian concept in terms of he was humiliated by his mother in that moment. But that's humiliating for a mother to have to have a conversation with her son about. Right. Most of the time, mothers would take that to the husband or the father figure in that person's life and say, hey, do you want to have a conversation with them about it? Or because they're so young, like it just happened. Like it's puberty. It, right. It's a natural occurring thing for people going through puberty to experience. Right. And um, Dr. Hickey was like, that had to be fueled by something within her. And it could be which I don't agree with this. And so take this with a grain Pass of salt. Through. He said that she might have had like Freudian feelings about her son. Oh. And that's why he, she always kept him at arm's length. But in my opinion, if you can't psychoanalyze someone, then you shouldn't be saying shit like that. Yeah. So um, I don't know how I feel about that, but I thought that was a really interesting take on it by a criminal psychologist. Yeah, I was not expecting that. Right. And then it was also around this same exact age that he was in class and something happened like he failed something or he spelled something wrong or his teacher forced him to read out loud in class and he was embarrassed because he couldn't read well, he couldn't write well. And um, his teacher humiliated him and it like pissed him off. And like he was a really good kid in normal life. So he didn't really act out in class, but instead he started peeping on her. And he stalked her for years. Like he what? wanted to make her a victim eventually. Yeah. Like he held that grudge. Yeah. And that's like another thing that fueled him to wanting to see a woman in bondage, seeing a woman helpless, powerless. Because to him, like women kind of held the power in his life because he so took to heart what his mother thought about him and other females in his life. Um, and then lastly, this one just blew my fucking mind. And a lot of people claim that it's not true, including his daughter. I, I do want to mention it because it is in a few of his writings. But again, he's a compulsive liar, so psychopath. So like, I don't right. know. What do we believe? What are we going to believe? Either way, um, he, whenever that first, I think it was uh, Shirley's poem or one of the, one of the earlier notes that he had sent in and it had been published in the newspaper, he had killed that night, came home that morning, was having... Uh, breakfast and reading the newspaper with his wife Paula while the kids were eating and um, th that paper the note that he had sent was in the newspaper and he spelled something wrong as BTK and when Paula saw it she goes oh my god that's so weird he spells it just like you I wonder if he went to school with you shut up and he was like what let me see and she, he was like god that's so weird and she like dropped it and like didn't talk anymore about it but he said that in that moment, he thought if she was going to continue, that he was going to kill her, his wife, which then again reinforces the fact that he has no empathy, no feelings. Right. The, not, he does not have the ability to care or feel any sort of emotion towards another They're human. And they were a cover, which is so fucked. And I like couldn't imagine being his children. And, and like I said, like if, if I heard that being said about my father, like no matter who my father was, like your father 
literally played this role in front of you. And to you, he was an amazing man. Right. And that's why like reading Carrie's perspective of it in her book and listening to her talk about it on 2020 was so eye opening. But. Oh, I've got to watch her. You've got to watch. You've got to watch. Because it's it's mind blowing. Yeah. I'm really happy. You need to pop a bottle of champagne. Thank God VTK is done, babe. I mean, that was so fucking interesting. Yeah. What about, I wanted to ask, but I couldn't remember their names. Um, the Canadian couple. Uh, Barbie and Ken killers? Yeah. Ken and Barbie killers? What would you classify them? Oh, God. Well, Carla. So it's Paul and Paul Bernardo, Bernardo and Carla Holmes. Paul was a lust killer 100 percent impulsivity and i think that would make carla a comfort killer because she was She's doing it a reward for paul mm-hmm. yeah because she was just like such a tag along for right but also not really so both so they I were heading to know where she was yeah and but i i think he also does have con- like the same uh he wasn't organized but the power control situation but still like that's the same with thrill that's the same with hedonistic as a whole like being able to control something even though it's not considered a power control because being organized and disorganized yeah wow really interesting You're really fucking good honestly i think i'm a psychologist honestly i think you should be i think i should be too that's all you know that's so crazy i literally wanted to be that here we yeah, are. are i'm doing it either way and i didn't have to pay for school to do it period period poo Just dr taylor for, for no reason mm. that's what we did that's exactly what we did for what for why <laughs> literally all righty today i have okay so update update guys i am actually crashing really hard right well, now we had to give her two benadryl i don't know if we said that in the intro and i'm like actually falling asleep on mic so and i'm afraid if we wait any longer she's not gonna be able to get home <laughs> not that like we couldn't take her clearly i but couldn't even read the first sentence no and if you're watching on youtube you've seen me <laughs> fall out of the chair <laughs> just shut up if you were watching on youtube because i'm falling asleep right and, and i knew morgan was going down bad that's why i was talking like i was kind of t- trying to take up some more space just in case you wouldn't be able to make I it was through trying, I was and because i, I know life. this is like your shit like talking about yeah, the and psychology you did so good and i was fighting for my life trying to just I like know you were i was guys i was like pinpointing like picking up conversations like say i can't even talk oh my god picking up sentences that she was saying and then i'd sit here and dwell on it and then i'd be like She's going to find me. I'd think to myself that she was going to find me on the ground and she'd be like, Morgan, wake up. Morgan, wake up. Like I was OK. I'm fucking drunk or something. No, you took anyway. two Benadryl. Anyway, so two Benadryl lay me out. Like, I don't even know how you're still breathing right now. So I have to go over tomorrow. Yeah. So we're going to try to get this recorded tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and if not, we'll do something else small. We'll pick up in one thirty. It's just let her do something ourselves small. because we have um. I have I'm going out of town this weekend for my brother's wedding yeah but that's okay like even if you don't like I mean I've literally talked for an hour and five minutes so if it comes down to it and you can't and we don't have the time to do it I'd rather not rush it and you be able to enjoy your brother's wedding and (laughs) this meeting that we have that's extremely important tomorrow so I mean we can just cap this at BTK if you can't handle it tomorrow and if not then you get to I mean and if and if that happens you get to hear her case on 130 yeah yeah and then if not then uh then we'll f- figure out something to do tomorrow yeah. and you won't ever hear this even yeah. you will never hear this you won't ever hear this but if you're hearing this then morgan did not survive if you're hearing this i'm i'm dead She's okay dead. <laughs> okay love, love you, you guys love you bye